Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Friday, July 22nd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. President Biden has tested positive for COVID-19 despite being vaccinated and double boosted, and he's experiencing mild symptoms. The current wave of infections we are seeing are mostly due to the BA5 Omicron subvariant, and it could be what the COVID normal looks like. Catherine Wu, staff writer at The Atlantic, joins us for how the endless churn of variants will keep infecting people even if you're vaccinated or had prior infection. Next, the impact of the pandemic on children has been so uneven that in classrooms across the country, we're seeing a wider range of student abilities and it could be harder for those lagging behind to catch up. A recent study showed that students in grades three to eight showed a larger spread in achievement levels this year compared to 2019. Aaron Einhorn, national education reporter at NBC News Digital, joins us for what to know. Finally, Costco has two recession-proof items at their stores, the 150 hot dog combo and their 499 rotisserie chickens. When it comes to the chicken, Costco has built out its own chicken business, contracting with farmers to raise their birds, building a feed mill, a hatchery, and a slaughter plant. Kenny Torella, reporter at Vox, joins us for how the rotisserie chickens are considered a loss leader, just to get you in the door to buy more stuff. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Hey folks, guess you heard this morning I tested positive for COVID. But I've been double vaccinated, double boosted, symptoms are mild, and uh, and I really appreciate your inquiry and your concern. Joining us now is Catherine Wu, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about what's going on with the latest BA5 Omicron subvariant wave that we're going through. Unfortunately, it kind of seems like this is what that COVID normal is going to be looking like. We're going to have all these different variants churning out and uh, people are going to keep getting infected. Thankfully, it seems like it's not as bad lately. Some of the hospitalizations and death numbers, they're ticking up, at least on the hospitalizations. But uh, that's just because so many more people are getting infected. But we're looking to see what the future of this looks like. And we know that we're going to be dealing with COVID for a long time for it seems like this never ending thing that we're going through. But as more people keep getting infected, we're going to keep seeing more and more variants. Right. And I think that is the grimness of it, not knowing when exactly this sort of variant churn is going to end, you know, sort of reflecting back on the past really eight months or so, ever since the first version of Omicron came around, which we now refer to as BA1, it really has been this nonstop slingshotting of variant after variant in this whole family, BA1, BA2, BA2, 
BA4, BA5, and there may be something else on the way. You know, the speed at which these variants are sort of taking over, it's so fast that you sort of look at the case curve, which you know is this massive undercount. All of these waves that might have been separate a couple of years ago are just blurring into this continuous flatness. And, you know, if this is our foreseeable future, you're absolutely right. You know, hospitalization rates are down, death rates are down, and there's no denying that that is better than we were before. But I wouldn't call this good. I wouldn't call this sustainable. And I'd be pretty worried if this is what we're going to be seeing for years on end. Who knows? You know, when we're looking at this, too, and how things are, are evolving and mutating with the virus, I mean, it's primed to keep evolving to evade immunity. And this is the problem that we're having. That's why we're seeing so many reinfections right now. People getting infected for the first time. It's catching up to everyone. You know, it seems like, and anecdotally at least, uh, on my end too, it's just catching up to everyone. And that's kind of the thing. And, and as you mentioned, this is what it seems like we're going to be in for the next term. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. You know, there's this kind of vicious cycle when it comes to viruses and evolution. You know, infections beget more variants. And then, of course, if variants are sort of doing their job right, they're going to beget more infections because the most successful next variant is the one that can reinfect people that might have been infected before. It just goes on and on and on. And, you know, again, acknowledging that it is important to be thankful that hospitalization and disease rates are down, it's a reason that we still need to care about every infection that happens because that's all it takes. If a virus gets inside someone and copies itself, it has the opportunity to turn into something that could escape our defenses again. And of course, there's long COVID. Every sickness can really you know, take someone out of work or school. This is not a good place to be because transmission is this kind of unmitigated disaster at this point. We are going to keep seeing variants, and there is really no sign of the virus hitting a ceiling anytime soon in terms of just how much it can change and you know circumvent what we're lobbing its way again. As we have these vaccines right now that do help with severe illness and hospitalizations and death, it really does help on that front. It, you know, we've, we we mm-hmm. found out already it doesn't really help that much with transmission. People are continuing to get infected, and, and that's the big frustration, right? People want to go back to normal, but, you know, this thing just keeps spreading at such a fast pace. And we're going to see a new set of COVID vaccines come on board for the fall. People are looking maybe in the October range, that, and these will be more Omicron-focused. But again, back to the whole point of how fast these things are evolving, who knows if the Omicron subvariant is going to be the main one at the time. We could have moved on by then. Right. And I think that is absolutely a concern, though I don't think that totally invalidates the update. Probability-wise, that updated vaccine will probably still bring us closer to where the virus is evolutionarily than we are now. It's still this game of catch-up. So even if we're no longer in BA5's universe, maybe it'll be BA6 by then, and it will hopefully still be closer than we were with this variant that started the pandemic back in 2019, which is what we're kind of relying on now. But, you know, to, to speak to your point earlier... It's true, you know, and I will say that vaccination still does lower a person's risk of getting infected and does lower the risk of transmission, but you're absolutely right. It is absolutely not obliterating it, and the rates at which those outcomes are decreasing is not massive. Vaccination is not enough on its own to keep all of this in check, which means we have to keep turning to those other measures that people seem so reluctant about. Absolutely, things like ventilation would help, but That's not widespread enough. We do need masking. We do need people to be conscious of where they are, who they're gathering with, how tightly they're gathering. And we do need people to keep testing and reporting those results. But very little of any of that is happening anymore. 
Catherine Wu, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So a teacher who in the past might have had three or four math groups based on skill level now needs six or seven or eight different groups. And so they've got so many different kids with so many different needs in that one classroom. Joining us now is Aaron Einhorn, national education reporter at NBC News Digital. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's talk about our students in school right now. Obviously, we know how much of a disruptor the pandemic was going through remote learning, all the difficulties associated with that. We've talked about that many times on the podcast. We've seen a lot of stories about it. But right now, what we're seeing is a little bit more data to back that up. And it's kind of causing these divides in classrooms, and it's making it much more difficult for teachers to really give each student group the attention and the dedication that they might need. You know, we're seeing the gap widen from students that are performing above grade level and below grade level. We're seeing that gap widen even more. So, Aaron, tell us what we're seeing in some of this new research we have. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, we know about pandemic learning loss. We've been talking about that throughout the pandemic. And, you know, we've also talked, you know, over the last couple of years about different demographic groups that are taking, you know, Black and Hispanic and and kids with special needs have taken kind of a harder hit on the pandemic. But what we're seeing now in this research and the research, the, the data that I reported on in this story was from NWEA, which is a national testing organization that makes growth tests, essentially. They're tests that measure how much a student learns within the school year. So they usually give the test in the fall and again in the spring, and they could say, well, you know, this child knew these many skills in September and these many skills in in May or June, and as a result, they can measure the growth. And then they can also compare the child in each classroom to students around the country. But what they found when they looked at this analysis is that those huge differences that we're well aware of are happening even within individual classrooms. So a teacher who in the past might have had three or four math groups based on skill level now needs six or seven or eight different groups. And so they've got so many different kids with so many different needs in that one classroom. And it makes the teacher's job, you know, which was hard before the pandemic and really hard during the pandemic. And we know really hard now, but even so much harder because they're having to individualize instruction, you know, for each student as opposed to, you know, a few different groups. That was a a really interesting example. And I made note of it, too, while reading your article that was happening at Greensburg Salem Middle School in Pennsylvania. And yeah, just having to expand those groups, you know, that's what they're doing. They're putting children together that could be of similar competency in whatever uh, subject there are so they can break them up. They can work together while everybody's given attention around the room. And yeah, now you're just dividing that so much more. It spreads the teacher even thinner on that. And teachers are really frustrated. You know, they want to provide the best education they can, but that makes it really difficult. And the study that we're seeing from the NWEA, they're saying that students in grades three to eight is where we're looking at, where it's showing a larger spread in the achievement levels. This is compared to spring of 2019. So those are just critical uh, years right now, especially third grade, right? That's a big year for reading. There's a lot of things that go into that. So these very critical grades as we're seeing these biggest spreads right now. Well, and what they're finding is that there was concern that, that kids wouldn't catch up, and they are catching up, you know, a little bit. And in fact, one of the things that was sort of a, a positive discovery from this analysis is that across the board, every demographic group appears to be 
progressing at similar rates. So it's not like the, the more affluent kids are catching up faster than the kids who come from, you know, who, who go to high poverty schools. But the kids in the high poverty schools, they started so much farther behind. And so they're all kind of filling in the gaps at the yeah. same rate, but you're having a bigger, uh, you know, more, more ground to cover. And at the rate that we're improving, according to NWEA, and they've been doing these tests for years, so they have years of data on where kids in the past used to be. And they're comparing the kids from the past to the kids today. And they're saying if we, particularly actually for middle school, continue to recover kind of at the rate that we've been recovering over the last year or so, it's going to take a minimum of five years yeah. to catch up. Now, if you're an eighth grader, five years from now, it's too late. You're in college and you're not prepared for yeah. college. Yeah. And that's been one of the hugest concerns, the unknown of how much damage we might have done throughout the pandemic. And, you know, obviously it was a tough time. You know, uh, public officials were doing what they were thinking was best. But this is how much it impacted a lot of students. And, you know, this is kind of on the academic side of things. We're seeing reading kids are behind on, but it's uh, especially pronounced in math subjects. Well, and also the social emotional kids who were in online instruction, either full time or hybrid last year, they weren't getting the social interaction with their peers where children normally would learn social skills like conflict resolution. And so they're coming into the classrooms not knowing how to talk to adults, not how, knowing how to talk to peers. And so teachers were also dealing with that this past school year. So there were more reports about difficult behaviors among kids. And so the teacher's spending a lot of time navigating that. And then, of course, they're also navigating this wide skill gap within their class. So they've got all these different skill levels. They've got all these kids with emotional issues. And, you know, and kids may have lost loved ones to COVID-19. You know, their parent may have lost a job that might have been traumatic. They may have lost their housing. You know, all kinds of things have happened to people. And that's all landing in classrooms. Definitely. And, you know, when we're trying to get back to normal, you know, you want to hit the ground running, so to speak. That's been so difficult to do with a lot of this that, that's been going on. And, you know, they're counseling teachers to adopt new ways of teaching. You know, the teaching from the front of the classroom to the whole classroom isn't isn't as effective. They want them to break them up into smaller groups and match them with their peers and try to give that uh, individualized attention the best they can. Yeah, there's a ton that's going on right now. Aaron Einhorn, National Education Reporter at NBC News Digital. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for drawing attention to this issue. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, 
start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, that's really helped them keep their foreign bean rotisserie chicken price, which is quite low. Most rotisserie chickens will cost anywhere from 6 to $10. And of course, that's benefited consumers as inflation has just been skyrocketing, especially for food over the last year. Joining us now is Kenny Torella, reporter at Vox. Thanks for joining us, Kenny. Hi, thanks for having me, Oscar. Well, let's talk about some uh, interesting things going on at Costco. It seems that they have two inflation-proof items. One is their $1.50 hot dog. The company has said that they're not going to budge on that price. But the other is their $4.99 rotisserie chicken. And in 2019, they became the first U.S. retailer to set up their own chicken business. So they have the whole thing down pat from they've built a, a feed mill, a hatchery, the slaughtering plant, and then obviously they package it and sell it in their stores. So it's one of the things that helped them keep that price so low for so long now. But Kenny, tell us a little bit more about it. That's right. So the typical grocery business like Costco buys chicken from some of the big meat producers like Tyson Foods or Pilgrim's Pride. But in 2019, Costco took a really unprecedented move and said, you know, we're going to cut out the middleman and we're going to raise our own chickens. So as you mentioned, they set up their own feed mill, their own hatchery, their own slaughter plant. And they also contracted farmers to set up around 500 barns in Nebraska and Iowa, each one housing tens of thousands of chickens for the Costco supply chain. And, you know, that's really helped them keep their foreign rotisserie chicken price, which is quite low. Most rotisserie chickens will cost anywhere from 6 to $10. And of course, that's benefited consumers as inflation has just been skyrocketing, especially for food over the last year. But it's also really upset some people who are critical of industrialized animal farming. And um, just to give you one example, one of those people is someone who lives near a lot of these barns that are raising chickens for Costco. I spoke with a man uh, by the name of Greg Lance, who lives in Butler County, Nebraska, and he has uh, about 48 of these chicken barns within a mile and a half radius of his home. So there's about 2 million chickens being raised for Costco at any given point near this guy's house. And he says it's really affected his quality of life. The smell is awful. 2 million chickens and and all their manure kind of condensed into one area, but also the smell of, you know, dead decomposing birds is around 5% of chickens raised for meat don't even make it to the slaughterhouse. They die on the farm or on the way to the slaughterhouse. And Greg Lance said that it's really, it's really been affecting him because it just smells awful. He can't (laughs) open his windows. There's swarms of flies. So that's just one example of how a company setting up its own chicken supply chain in a very condensed geography can affect the people who live near them. Right. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up uh, on near a uh, freeway on ramp there, you know, by where I lived, there was a duck farm there, very small scale, but man, you'd always mm. have to roll up the windows driving by there. So this is just amplified so much more than that. So you can only imagine. But for Costco, you know, they keep that price low. For them, it's a loss leader is what they call in the business. They're not really making any money on that. What they make money on is you coming in and buying all the other stuff that you get. And, you know, just anecdotally, 
me for myself, you know, it's hard to get in there without spending a minimum like $300 just on all the other stuff that you're buying. So for them, that business model works. As going back to what you're talking about, some of their practices and everything, the industry has at least given Costco some praise for doing some things right. They do treat their birds a little better. And we're talking about industry standards, right? So it's all Mm -hmm. kind of relative there. Uh, They help out with that a little bit. And and some of the contracts that they make with their farmers are a little bit better on average than the normal farmer would get. Costco, you know, has the size and the leverage to be able to set some of its own standards. And some of them are slightly better than industry standards. So as you mentioned, in a Costco slaughter, in the Costco slaughter plant, They use a slaughter method that is a little more humane than the typical slaughter plant. And and what that means is that the chickens are stunned using a a kind of gas that renders them unconscious before they're slaughtered, which reduces some of their suffering. And also in the chicken industry, most chicken is not raised by employees of the meat company, say like Tyson Foods or Pilgrim's Pride but rather farmers are contractors, kind of like an Uber driver. And in this contract system, they take on much of the liability of the business. So they take out loans worth hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to build their barns. And some of them really struggle to pay it off because the margins in the poultry business are razor thin. And so one thing that Costco is doing a little differently is their their contracts are a little more fair. They're paying their farmers a base rate instead of paying the best farmers a higher rate, the worst farmers a lower rate. Everyone gets the same amount, and then they award bonuses to, to the best farmers. So that's a little different. But by and large, Costco's chicken supply can look nearly identical to that of, say, Tyson or Foster Farms. Kenny Torella, reporter at Vox, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod, on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.